0: Imagine you are filling up a water balloon. When you attach it to a tap, the balloon expands to accommodate the water and fills. Once full of water, you can empty the balloon and water will pour out. Now, imagine that you are trying to fill the balloon while someone squeezes from the outside. If they are squeezing hard enough, the balloon won't be able to fill. Now, when you try to empty the balloon, no water will pour out. In the case of cardiac tamponade, The balloon represents your heart, and the water represents your blood. The person squeezing from the outside is pericardial fluid. When fluid accumulates in the pericardial sac, it can prevent your heart from expanding during diastole to accommodate blood returning from the venous system. When severe, there may not be enough blood to pump out, leading to cardiac compromise and related symptoms. This is known as cardiac tamponade. Today, our patient has a pericardial effusion, and you are the doctor. Welcome to the Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, A Tight Squeeze, Pericarditis, Pericardial Effusion, and Cardiac Tamponade." now time for our minute physiology. The pericardium is a fibroelastic sac that surrounds the heart. It is lined with a serous membrane that produces a small amount of fluid, roughly 15 to 50 milliliters per day. The fluid allows the two sides of the pericardium to slide over each other freely. The pericardium can become inflamed, a condition known as pericarditis. Most common causes are viral infection, Inflammation after a myocardial infarction or open-heart surgery, otherwise known as Dressler's Syndrome, uremia, autoimmune disease, and neoplastic, amongst others. In some cases, it is idiopathic, meaning there is no known cause. When inflamed, the pericardium can produce excess fluid, causing accumulation of fluid in the pericardial sac. This is called a pericardial effusion. In some cases... Patients present with symptoms of pericarditis, namely pleuritic chest pain, with no effusion, and in some cases patients experience effusion without chest pain. As fluid in the pericardial sac accumulates, pressure begins to build. The pericardial sac is able to accommodate some degree of extra fluid. This primarily depends on the speed at which an effusion develops. If slow, this gives the pericardium more time to expand. However, if rapid, the pericardium is less able to accommodate the extra fluid and pressure builds. This is why as little as 200 milliliters of fluid can cause tamponade in cases where the rate of accumulation is quick, but over 1 liter may not lead to tamponade when the rate is slow. Once the pressure in the pericardial sac is high enough that it matches the pressure in the chambers of the heart, it compromises the heart's ability to fill. This is known as cardiac tamponade. This is a medical emergency as it can lead to cardiovascular collapse and death. Pericarditis, pericardial effusion, and cardiac tamponade exist in a continuum. Depending on the etiology, it may or may not progress and can be quite variable. All right, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. You are asked to see a 28-year-old woman with chest pain in the emergency department. You suspect your chest pain is from pericarditis, and you use your history, physical exam, and tests at your disposal to make the diagnosis. The classic description of chest pain from pericarditis is a central, sharp, pleuritic pain, worse with inspiration. It is also classically relieved when leaning forwards, and worse when lying down. Leaning forwards relieves pressure on the inflamed parietal pericardium by allowing the heart to swing forward in the pericardial sac. It is important to note that although this is the classic description of pericarditis, it can present in different ways and may sound similar to an acute myocardial infarction. Also important on history are clues that may indicate an underlying etiology. Ask about symptoms of recent infection, especially viral, history of recent cardiac surgery, MI or heart disease, kidney disease, history of malignancy, and consider any history or symptoms of autoimmune or inflammatory diseases. She states her pain started roughly three days ago, a few days after what she thinks was a viral infection associated with a fever, cough, and malaise. She started to experience chest pain that was sharp and central and worse when lying down or coughing. She is otherwise healthy, has no medical history, and takes no medications. Your exam, as always, should begin with evaluation of your patient's vital signs. With special attention to blood pressure, as low blood pressure can be a sign that your patient is in cardiac tamponade. They may also be tachycardic. On cardiac auscultation, you may appreciate a pericardial friction rub, suggestive of pericardial inflammation. This sounds like a triphasic scratching sound, heard best over the left sternal border. Be aware that friction rubs tend to be variable, so don't be surprised if it goes away when you re-examine the patient. Your exam should further focus on identifying any signs of cardiac tamponade. Classically, tamponade is represented by Beck's triad, jugular venous distension, muffled or distant heart sounds, and hypotension. Your exam should therefore include assessment of the JVP and distended neck veins, cardiac auscultation, and evaluation of blood pressure. Examination for a pulsus paradoxus can also be useful in examining for the presence of cardiac tamponade. Today, we have a special second physiology timeout to briefly discuss pulsus paradoxus. A paradoxial pulse is defined by a greater than 10 millimeters of mercury or greater than normal drop in systolic pressure during inspiration. Normally, inspiration causes an increase in venous return to the heart due to a drop in intrathoracic pressure. This causes increased filling and expansion of the right ventricle. Normally, there is enough space so that the free wall of the right ventricle is able to expand, thereby minimally affecting the left ventricle. However, in pericardial tamponade, when the right ventricle fills during inspiration, pericardial fluid restricts the right ventricular wall from expanding. As a result, the interventricular septum bulges to the left and decreases the volume of the left ventricle. The decreased stroke volume of the left ventricle is manifested by a drop in systolic pressure. This normally occurs to a minor degree, but is exaggerated during cardiac tamponade. A pulsus paradoxus can also be seen in constrictive pericarditis, restrictive cardiomyopathy, hypovolemic shock, acute and chronic airway obstruction, pulmonary embolus, or right ventricular infarction. Alright, your initial physical exam reassures you that the patient is unlikely to have cardiac tamponade. You proceed with your investigations. These should include basic blood work, including creatinine, as well as cardiac troponin, CRP, ECG, and chest x-ray. On ECG, in pericarditis, you may see diffuse ST elevation with an upward concave pattern, PR segment depression, primarily in V5 and V6, with PR elevation in AVR, and tachycardia. This may normalize and then later progress to T-wave inversion, although this is highly variable and typically occurs weeks later. It is important to distinguish the ECG of someone with pericarditis from someone with an acute coronary syndrome. When compared with an ECG showing ischemia, the ST elevations in pericarditis are diffuse and do not follow a particular anatomic distribution corresponding to a vascular territory. Additionally, the ST elevations in pericarditis typically have normal concavity, as opposed to a dome or tomb shape seen with ischemia end are usually less than 5 mm. Reciprocal ST depression is uncommon in pericarditis, with the exception of AVR, and concomitant ST changes with T-wave inversions as well as Q-waves are less likely. If available, a point-of-care ultrasound can help to identify a large pericardial effusion. A formal echocardiogram should be obtained if there is a pericardial effusion, and should be done urgently if there is any concern of tamponade. Pericarditis can be accompanied by an elevation in CK and troponin, which indicates that inflammation has spread to the myocardium. This is sometimes referred to as myopericarditis. (music) Moving on to management, you should consider admission to hospital when there is a persistent high fever, troponin rise, immunosuppression, and or if there is the presence of a large effusion or tamponade. Otherwise, pericarditis can be typically treated as an outpatient and is principally treated with a combination of colchicine and an NSAID when the cause is viral or idiopathic. Of course, other etiologies such as uremia or malignancy warrant other investigations and treatments. Disease-specific treatments may include dialysis in uremic pericarditis and steroids in autoimmune disease. An NSAID, such as high-dose aspirin, ibuprofen, or indomethacin, has been shown to alleviate symptoms by reducing pericardial inflammation. A slow taper of therapy over several weeks has been shown to reduce the rate of recurrence. A taper of 2-4 to weeks following the resolution of symptoms with an NSAID, such as ibuprofen, high-dose aspirin, or indomethacin, is recommended. The addition of colchicine has also been shown to reduce recurrence rates and should be continued for 3 months. Up to 30% of patients with idiopathic acute pericarditis who are not treated with colchicine develop recurrence of pericarditis. Colchicine has been demonstrated to reduce the rates of recurrence and hospitalization by over 50% according to the ICAP trial. GI side effects are common. Physical activity restriction is advised as exercise has been shown to be a trigger of recurrence. The addition of a proton pump inhibitor such as pantoprazole while on therapy should be considered in those with a history of GERD, gastritis, or peptic ulcer disease. If pericarditis does recur, a repeat ECG and echo should be done and further etiology is explored. Investigations at this point may include an ANA, DSDNA, complements, workup of TB if there is a prior history or exposure of TB, and age-appropriate cancer screening referral to a cardiologist should be considered, if not already initiated. Treatment should again consist of colchicine and NSAIDs, but later lines of therapy may also include a course of steroids or other immune-modulating agents. Another complication is the development of constrictive pericarditis, which may develop with repeat bouts of pericarditis, leading to the formation of a fibrous scar. This risk is highest when pericarditis is from bacterial infection or tuberculosis. Let's quickly discuss another case. In this scenario, you are asked to see a 64-year-old man on the General Internal Medicine Ward. He has a history of stage 4 lung adenocarcinoma and presented to the hospital with fatigue, shortness of breath on exertion, and orthopnea. You are concerned and order a chest x-ray and ECG immediately. His chest x-ray shows an enlarged cardiac silhouette and his ECG demonstrates reduced and variable QRS amplitudes. The variation in amplitude is known as electrical alterans and happens when the heart swings back and forth while floating in pericardial fluid. He has distended neck veins, quiet heart sounds, and his blood pressure is low, with the pulse's paradoxes of 25 millimeters per mercury. This is cardiac tamponade. You ask for help immediately, and an echo reveals a large pericardial effusion. Emergent pericardiocentesis is performed, whereby 1,200 milliliters of fluid is drained. The fluid is sent for cytology and comes back positive for malignant cells. This large pericardial effusion and tamponade were caused by metastasis from his lung cancer. Treatment is recurrent drainage and may include the placement of an indwelling pericardial drain. Of course, the underlying malignancy should be addressed now it's time for a medicine minute despite being a rare cause of pericardial effusion in north america tuberculosis pericarditis is one of the leading causes of effusion and tamponade worldwide one study from a hospital in south africa found that of 233 large pericardial effusions 96% 96% were due to extrapulmonary TB. Consider this in your patient with pericardial effusion and constitutional symptoms with risk factors for TB. Thank you for listening to today's episode A Tight Squeeze Pericarditis, Pericardial Fusion, and Cardiac Tamponade. This episode was written by Dr. David Dorian, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Ken Melvin, cardiologist. Dr. Rupal Shah, General Internist, and Dr. Nadine Abdullah, General Internist. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai, developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos, and overseen by Dr. Daniel brandt Vegas. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman Zavantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please do us a big favor and like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Please also visit our website for a pericarditis infographic and additional reading materials, like links to the ICAP study. This is the Internet Work, and we hope to see you again soon.